you to the uh, folks in the sound booth uh, that do all that work behind the scenes throughout the week. They're also the reason those of you that sometimes catch the sermons on the podcast are able to do that. Uh, It's because of the work that they do, recording the sermons among all the other things. So thank you to Lee and Miss Diane and to Brother Johnny for the work that they do. This morning, if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We are going to be moving back. Um, we spent a little bit of time in a special series looking at uh, the, the importance of personal evangelism. And uh, we were in Genesis before that. We're moving back now to pick back up where we left off in Genesis. Genesis 12. Today we're really starting with the story of Abram. So most of us know him as Abraham, right? We sing the song, Father Abraham. I'm not going to sing it for your sake. Um, But before he was Abraham, he was Abram. So when you hear me say Abram today, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Abraham, uh, just before his name was changed to Abraham. As well as I say that also to say that if I say Abraham, you know who I'm talking about. If I make the mistake, y'all be gracious with me, please, this morning. But this morning, I I want to present to you, as we look at Abram, Abram, the first thing I want us to do is see who he is. I want you to see his background. I want us to see where he came from. A lot of us know him as the father of the nation of Israel. We know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, We may know that his wife, Sarah, was barren until older age. But there are some other things about Abraham that I really think makes his story really something that we can connect with. Something that becomes more personal for us. And we're going to see some of those this morning. I would throw his hat in the ring with the people that we refer to as unlikely heroes of the scripture. Right? There are certain people in the Bible that we think of as being unlikely heroes. We talk about Moses. Right? He, he said, I can't speak well, so how is he going to be chosen to do it? We talk about Esther. Right, a female Jewish person living in Babylon in the time that she did. We talk about people like the, the fishermen, the uneducated fishermen that become the disciples of Jesus. We talk about Matthew, who's one of the disciples who was a tax collector. We talk about these people as being, man, I really wouldn't have ever thought that they would have been the people that God chose to do that. I throw Abram's hat in that ring as well, and I want you to see why this morning. So there are three things I want to show you. I know there are points in the bulletin. I know I've done this a couple times. Don't pay any attention to those points. Most of those points are for next week. This week, I just want you to see something about Abram. There are three things we're going to see this morning. First thing I want you to see is that God chooses unexpected people. And the second thing I want you to see is that God calls people to do unexpected things. And then the third thing, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. I want you to see God calls unexpected people. He calls people to do unexpected things. And the third thing we'll see is why he does that. But I'm not going to tell you why yet. We're not actually starting in chapter 12. We're going to start at the end of chapter 11. So Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 31. Read with me there. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, what we see here is the genealogy that includes Abram. There's just a touch before that. It shows who his brothers were. It shows some of those things. But in the genealogy of Abram, we see some things that are very interesting. But to me, it's interesting just the fact that Abram basically just pops on the scene here. End of chapter 11, he's mentioned in this genealogy. In chapter 12, God is calling him to do something very specific. We don't see a lot about Abram's early life. The first 75 years of his life are almost unmentionable other than where he lived and who his family was here. He seems like somebody that just comes up. And what we do see about him in his early life doesn't seem like a resume fitting to be the father of the nation that God is making. God has chosen to make a nation that he's going to be the leader of his own nation, and Abram is the man that he chooses to be the father or the the beginning of the ancestry of that nation. Now, what do we see here? There are several things that we see in this genealogy in chapter 11, beginning in verse 31. We see who his father was. His father's name was Terah. Now, Terah and Abram and the family are are given to have lived in two places. They lived in Ur, and then they left Ur, and they went to Haran. If you picked up one of the children's bulletins this morning, there's a maze on the back, and that maze begins at Ur, and it ends at Haran. That's where his family moved from. Now, why is that important? Because Ur and Haran, those two places were the two largest cultural centers in this time that worshipped this God that was the God of the moon. The moon God, whose name happens to be Sin. Those are the two places where Sin was worshipped most. So the two places that Abram has lived, the two places that his father chose to live in his early life, are the two areas that worship this moon god. And now, more than just that, when we see the names that are listed there, as it goes through the genealogy and it lists the names, we see some specific names that would make us believe that Abram was raised in a family of people that were idol worshipers. We're given that his niece's name is Milcah. Milcah is the name of the moon god's daughter. We see that his wife, Sarah, has a name that is the same as the moon god's cohort, one of the moon god's helpers, friends. So, so everything that we see here in this genealogy telling us about Abram tells us that Abram was probably raised by a father and in a family that worshipped the moon god. Not a, not a family that worshipped Yahweh, not a family that, that would lead him to have faith in Jesus down the road that would lead him to believe in Yahweh, the creator God of everything. No, an idol-worshiping family. So this is Abram. This is the background of this man. This is why I say he seems very unlikely. We have a man who is born to an idol-worshiping father who lives in two cultural centers of of worshiping the moon god who is, spoiler alert if you don't want to wait, until we get later in his story, who's married to his half-sister, Sarah, who, oh, by the way, is barren and can't have any children. Now, does that seem like a resume for who you would pick to be the father of the nation of God's people? Doesn't to me. 
But God, in all of his sovereignty, chooses this man. This man, married to his half-sister, who can't have kids, who's been raised by idol worshippers his whole life, to be the father of the nation that God is going to make. So point one is simply that God chooses unexpected people. We probably would have picked somebody else in all of our infinite wisdom that we don't have. We would have wanted someone else. God says Abram is the man that he wants. Just like he chose Saul... Right in the New Testament, he chooses Saul, the persecutor of the church, the murderer of Christians, to write so many of the letters that we have as our New Testament Bible. We wouldn't have picked Saul. We probably wouldn't have had Saul on our radar. God chooses Saul and turns him into Paul, and we see how that worked out. Right? God chooses Moses that can't speak well to be the one that's going to rescue his people from Egypt and lead them through the wilderness. We see time and time again that God's wisdom is not the same as our wisdom. That his mind works so much greater than ours. That he knows so much more than we do. And I also want to remind you of this fact this morning. That you and I fall in this line of unexpected and unlikely people that God wants to use as well. Talk about that more in a little bit. But I want to say that several times today. You are one of the people who may not have the greatest resume, as Jason read earlier, who may not think of yourself as the most noble or the most wise or the most respected, or you may think of yourself as those, but either way, you are one of the unexpected people that God wants to do amazing things through. So let's look and see what God asked this unexpected man, Abram, to do. Look back in chapter 12, in verse 1. Again, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, again, what about Abram's background makes you think that whenever God speaks to him and tells him to do this, that he's going to do it? When God asks this big thing of him, right? It's not a little deal. We like to minimize this because it's Abram and it's not us. But whenever God says, listen, I want you to leave your country and I want you to leave your home and I want you to leave your work and I want you to leave your friends and I want you to leave all the things that you're familiar with. Take with you your wife and your servants and leave everything else that you've known and I want you to go. And God doesn't even tell him where to go. He just tells him to go in a certain direction. Go to the land that I will show you. That's a big ask, don't you think? That's a big, big ask of a man who has been an idol worshiper, at least raised by idol worshipers his entire life, who's been told that sin, the moon god, is the person that he should be focused on and serving. Now, on top of this, a little bit more perspective, Abram's 75 years old at this point, right? So you're not asking a 20-year-old young man who's ambitious and wanting to set out and find his way to do this. God tells a 75-year-old man, leave all those things that you've known. Leave your country, leave your homeland, leave your kinfolks, leave your daddy's place, And go somewhere. Where? I'll show you later. You just go. Go at my command. 
Point two, God commands unexpected things. I don't think that Abram, in, in his wisdom, I don't think that Abram would have expected that this was coming. I don't think that Abram expected to hear from some God that was going to tell him to do these things. But even though it's unexpected, God calls him to do this. And for just a moment, I want you to try and put yourself in Abram's shoes. Right? Some of you can imagine this. Some of you have lived in Weston or uh, Brookhaven and Kapai or Lincoln County, wherever. You've lived where you live your whole life. Your family lives around here. Your cousins are around here. Y'all do birthday parties together as a family. And you've lived here your whole life. And God says to you, listen, it's time. I want you to leave here. I want you to pick up and go. Leave your family behind. Leave your place behind. Leave all those things behind. And I want you to go somewhere that I'm going to tell you where to go. Now, God does give him some really great promises here. Right? He says, go and I will make of you a great nation. Go and I will bless you. I'll make your name great. He gives them all these promises. But even those God doesn't spell out. He doesn't say what those blessings will be. He doesn't say when those blessings will come. He doesn't say how he's going to inherit those blessings. So this is a big ask in my book of Abram. This is going to require a lot of faith, which is the one thing I think that we remember most about Abram or Abraham is his faith. He's commended several times in the scriptures because of his faith. We see him when God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go and offer him as a sacrifice. He goes and he does it. Abram is a man who fits the bill if you're looking for somebody who doesn't have the greatest resume but man, he's loyal. Right? He doesn't have all the education. He doesn't have all the accolades. But this guy is going to do what you ask of him. And we see that in verse 4. So Abram went. Seems like a big ask. Seems like we can't believe he'd do it. It simply says, so Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he goes. And then what happens? Verse 5. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. So when Abram gets to this place in Shechem, God shows him where to go, as God said he would. Abram goes and God shows him where to go, and he takes him to Canaan. You don't know what we call Canaan nowadays? Anybody know the nickname of Canaan? The promised land, right? This is why it's called the promised land. We call Canaan the promised land. So God takes him to the promised land, to the land flowing with milk and honey. God takes him there, and he takes him to Shechem, which is the physical center of Canaan. He takes him to the very center of the entire country, and when he gets there, God speaks to him. God appears to him. Not just speaks, he appears to him and says, To your offspring I will give this land. The promised land. God promises it to Abram's offspring. And so Abram builds uh, a memorial to God there. And when this happens, when this happens, 
Abram then leaves there and he goes on to the rest of Canaan and he sees the rest of the place. But in this, we also start to see the answer to the third question. The third thing I want to see, the last thing I want to see today. We see that God's picked an unexpected man. We've always seen that. We see that God asked him to do unexpected things. But then we see the answer to the question, why? Why didn't God choose some prince of some major place? Why didn't God choose some great political power? Why didn't God choose somebody that was already in Canaan? Why didn't God, why didn't God, why didn't God? We can ask over and over and over, but point three is this. God works so that he receives the glory he deserves. I want you to hear that. God works in a way so that he receives the glory that he rightly deserves. And that's what we see here. God chooses the most unexpected person, Abram, living in Haran, living in the center of idol worship, and tells him to leave there and go to Canaan. And then when he gets to Canaan, God tells him, to your offspring. Now think about that for just a minute. A man who can't have any children. He's married to Sarah, and Sarah is barren. She cannot have kids. And he says, to your offspring... I'm going to give this land, which could almost sound like a bad joke, to your offspring, to your children, I'm going to give this land. I'm going to picture Abram almost saying, well, God, did you know I can't have children? So unexpected that this is the man that God would choose for this. But I fully believe that one of the major reasons that God chooses Abram for this task and calls him to do it in this way is what, what Jason read to us earlier is that God chooses those that are not seen as wise, that are not seen as noble, that are not seen as powerful, that God chooses those people so that when the amazing thing happens, when he does have a child, spoiler alert again, when he does have a child and one from that child becomes a great nation and when all of these things actually happen and when to his offspring the promised land does become theirs, they get to inherit the land of Canaan. It becomes their nation. That when all these things happen that nobody says, well of course, we all knew that Abram could do that. Abram was the smartest of the smart. Abram had all the money in the world. Of course he did that. No, God does it in a way so that we say, amazingly, God did this even through the weakness of Abram. God's the only one that could have made this happen. Without God, there's no way that this could have happened because God's the one that made it happen. So God's the one that deserves the praise and he makes sure that we see that. We see that in Abram. We see that in Moses. We see that in person after person after person. God rightly deserves the praise for all the great things that happen in Abram's life and in our life. So again, whenever Abram doesn't make his wife be able to have a son because he can't do that. God's the one that's going to be praised for it. And when Abram doesn't make his great-grandson into the number two person in all of Egypt who saves Egypt from the famine that's coming and sets up for his people to, to flourish in Egypt, when that doesn't happen because of Abram, because he can't make that happen, we say praise God that he did that. 
And whenever Abram doesn't send the plagues that rescue his people from Egypt, and when Abram doesn't part the Red Sea to get his people out of there, and when Abram doesn't make a great nation out of a a group of virtual nobodies, and when Abram doesn't preserve his family line all the way through David to Jesus Christ the Savior so that all people will be blessed through him, we don't say, look what Abram did, but instead we say, look what God did. Brothers and sisters, that's why God works this out this way. It's not the only reason. I'm not telling you that I understand God's mind, but I'm telling you Scripture is clear that God chooses people that are unexpected, that are weak, that nobody would think could do tasks, to do tasks so that no man can boast in the presence of God. So that we all say, look what God did. And God makes it clear, if you read carefully through this text, If you read carefully through this introduction of Abram, God makes it clear over and over and over. Look in verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then look in verse 7 and the quote that God says, the promise, to your offspring, I will give this land. God leaves no question about it. Who's the one that's going to do all of the work? I am. And I am is God. Not Abram. It's not you. And it's not me. Abram brings faith to the table. He brings availability to the table. I don't want to demean that in any way. Abram is a man of great faith. It was a big ask when God said, leave everything that you know and go in this direction and I'll guide you. And Abram did it. And it's going to be a big ask whenever God tells him to sacrifice his son, but he's going to be willing to do it. Abram brings faith to the table and Abram brings availability to the table, but everything else comes by the mighty hand of God. Everything else that happens isn't because of Abram, it's because of God. And so for those of you sitting here this morning that think that the only people that God's going to use to do great things are the really, really bright, brilliant Sunday school teachers that we have here at this church and not you. For those of you that think that God's only going to use really well-spoken people with a good background that haven't sinned in all the ways that you have sinned, that have never been addicted to the things that you've been addicted to, that don't have the family issues that you have, You think God will use all the other people, but he's not going to use people like me. I want you to see this morning in the story of Abram, that's not true. That if you make yourself available to God, that if you are simply faithful to do what he tells you to do, he's going to use you to do mighty, mighty things. Now, he may not make you the father of the nation. He may not make it so that your offspring are as innumerable as the stars. He may not do those things for you. I can tell you this, he tells us clearly in Ephesians that he has good works that he has prepared for all of us in Christ Jesus. And if you would simply be available to him, he will guide you and he will use you to do mighty things. Those mighty things may be you raising children that know and love him. Brothers and sisters, that's no small task. And if you're a mother or if you're a father, he has called you to that task and he has commanded you about how to do it. And if you would follow his commands, he will use you to raise children that know him and love him and that impact this world. And that's a huge deal. 
Maybe he will use you to bless your neighbors or your co-workers. Maybe you don't change the fate of nations, but maybe you change the, the fate of families. And that's a big deal. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what he's going to use you for, but I'm telling you this. We see this time and time again through the Scriptures. It doesn't matter what your resume looks like. It doesn't matter how unworthy you feel like you are. He has the power and he has the ability if you will just be available. There is no end to what he can do through you. Just look at Abram. I wanted to end by sharing with you a story that I think helps, helps some of us see this. I, some of y'all know that I used to coach basketball years ago. And, and when I was coaching basketball, I had one particular uh, junior high girls basketball team. And I know that sounds funny because it doesn't sound real, real prestigious. But this one junior high girls team was, was special. Um, they were really good. They won uh, the district and they won the district championship and they did, they won all, they won everything as far as they could win. And on that team, there were three girls that were really, really good. The original big three, I like to call them. Everybody around knew how good they were, and they were really, really good. But they're not the only reason that that team won all the games that it won. You see, on that team, there was another girl. She wasn't one of the big three. Her name was Neely. Neely wasn't the best shooter. She wasn't the fastest. Right? She didn't have all those abilities that the other girls had. But Neely would do whatever I asked her to do. I could draw up a play that asked her to run in the stands and sit by somebody, and she'd run up in the stands and sit by somebody. I'd draw up a play, and, and I would ask her to screen somebody so that another girl could get free. I could draw up a play so that all she did was make a pass, but she was going to try with every bit of her might to set that screen or make that pass as well as she possibly could. Because she believed this. It's not about Neely. It's about the team. And if I do the small thing that I'm asked to do, or if I do the big thing that I'm asked to do, and nobody remembers what I did but the team wins, then it's worth it. And every time I asked Neely to do something, she did it. And it's because of players like Neely that that team was able to win as many games as they was able to win. And some of you, some of us, we just need to be in God's kingdom like Neely. Maybe you're not the big, famous name that everybody's going to know and remember. But that's okay. Because it's not about you. It's about God. I don't want people to remember the name Zach Kilpatrick. If you come in here and you leave here talking about how great of a preacher I am, but you don't leave here and talk about how great of a God God is, then I've missed the mark. I've done it wrong. Brothers and sisters, what we need to be is available and say, God, if you want me to do something that seems unexpected, something that seems hard, something that seems like I wouldn't want to do it, I'm going to do it because it's not about me, it's about you. So I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, are you the type of Christian that is available to whatever God asks you to do? Have you given true lordship to Jesus? I've had the opportunity over the past year to sit down with many young people in this church who have come and, and said that they were ready to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And one thing that I always spend time trying to spell out to them is what lordship looks like. 
what it looks like to say, God, I'm not in control anymore. You are. And if you ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. And if you ask me not to do it, I'm not going to do it. Brothers and sisters, do you live that way? Do you say, God, if you want me to do it, I'm going to do it. And if you don't want me to do it, I'm not going to do it. Because it's not about me, it's about you. That's what Abram did. And look what came from Abram. Look what God did through this man who nobody expected to do these great things. Because God will do mighty works through those people that are available to him. This morning I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. And if you don't know what it means to make yourself available to God, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say making him Lord of your life, I want you to come and let me talk to you. Let me set up a time where we can meet. Let me ask, answer some questions that you might have. Let me show you how Jesus Christ has died for you to make it available that you could be His. But I also know that there are probably some of us here this morning that have been Christians for a long time, but we have not been making ourselves available to God. I pray this morning that if that's you, that you would repent of that. That you would say, God, I've been living my way, but I'm reminded this morning that I need to live your way. I need to live for your glory and not mine. You can spend time at these altars praying. You can come and I'll pray with you. You can pray with God. You can speak to God just where you are. This morning I ask that you would do whatever the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.